Well, we will be in 1 John. We'll still be in chapter 2, so you can go and turn there if you want. But before we dive into the text, I want to try and set the scene a little bit. So imagine with me, you're a first century person. Uh, you will say the year is, well, I don't know what year exactly the book of 1 John was written. I don't know if anyone knows exactly when, but around the 50s. Let's go with that. You're living in Ephesus, okay. Uh, you've, you've never, you didn't meet Jesus. You're, you know, you're a couple decades away from his life and ministry. Maybe you had the privilege of meeting the Apostle Paul. So that's pretty incredible. Um, but now you're, you're living life. You're living the life of a first century Christian. Uh, you're, you're in the Roman Empire and there's persecution, there's suffering, there's trials and temptations, the likes of which we probably couldn't begin to imagine, but yet you're excited to be a part of this body of Christ, this newly formed church, right? These, this, the people of the way, as they were described. And you're being taught. Again, Paul is sending out letters. The apostles are teaching. Some of them are still alive. And, and, and so it's exciting. You're, and you're, you've got friends. You're developing relationships with people maybe you never imagined that you would have developed a relationship with because you have this common bond in Christ. And people are professing faith and they're being baptized and daily, right? People are being added to the number of those who are called Christians. And so it's wonderful. And then, though, the, the suffering is happening and, and some people who you know, they start walking away. They, they say, I, I once professed faith in this person of Jesus, but not anymore. He's, he's not worth it. The, it they told me if I would just reject him, then they would make the suffering stop, and so they walk away. Uh, some even might have been teachers, people who had taught you the gospel, people who introduced you to the person of Christ, and suddenly now they're departing, and it might not be an overt departure. They may say, they're telling you, no, yeah, we believe in Jesus, but, but his apostles actually don't know all the truth. We've got something more we'd like to tell you to bring you into this upper category of, of, of higher, better Christian living that you don't know about, that Paul hasn't written about, that the apostles didn't teach, and you, need to, you, should, you should come and listen to us. And, and so suddenly it's, it's confusing and it's challenging because, again, what, you're thinking to the things you've been taught and, and you've been told that if you are in Christ, then you're in His hands and you're in the Father's hands and no one can take you out of the Father's hands and you've been given the Holy Spirit who sealed you for the day of redemption, and yet you have now these people who said the same things, they claimed the same truths, and now they're walking away. And so you're wondering, is, is this true? Because the, the truth that I was told, I'm now seeing something, I'm experiencing something in the world that's making me question whether it's not true. And so that is where I want kind of us to imagine as we now go into the text for tonight, We'll read First uh, John 2, uh, verse 18, and we'll go all the way to chapter 3 uh, and verse 3. <clears throat> so now John is, is writing this letter to you in that context. He says, Children, it is the last hour, and has, as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. 
but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So that's the, a, a portion right, of this letter that, that John writes to the people living in that context that we, that we started with, right? There's confusion, there's, there's trials, and, and specifically, there are false teachers. And, and, and John is going to address that at other portions in the book, um, but, but this section in particular really drives this point home. And in a lot of ways, it's, it is our now Word of God biblical explanation for how we can understand those sorts of experiences that we face this, to this day as well, right? I mean, I'm, I'm sure if we were to pull the room uh, and have everyone share, you, you've had similar things happen where people, friends, family members who maybe once professed faith in Christ have walked away or, or people we, we probably know of, of folks who claim Jesus in, in some way, but then they teach overtly false things about him. And, and so, I mean, there's wonderful simplicity <laughs> in what John says to address that. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. It's kind of as simple as that. The fact that they departed proves that they were never really of us. They were never really born of the Spirit of God. If they had been, they would have continued. And so it's interesting. We won't go into to much Greek linguistics here, but there's a really important and, and, and wonderful point to be pulled from here. Uh, oftentimes the word, and we see it even in this text, we see it in, in John, the gospel of John, right? This word abide. And, and as we read through that, the word abide, he says, abide in me, abide in me, abide in the Father, abide in the Son, um, which is a great word, a lovely word. Sometimes it can be a little enigmatic. The word means remain, right? And so many of, some of the translations will say remain. And in fact, if you're reading the ESV or, or other translations, we see the word translated as remain in here, but in the negative sense, uh, from, from verse 19, depending on the translation, he says, they, they would have remained with us. My ESV says continued, but often it's all that same Greek word being utilized there. So these, these false teachers who departed from the faith, what did they do? They failed to remain. 
They failed to abide, which is the exact opposite of what John is exhorting the people to do. Remain. Abide. And so, in some sense, we have another one of these tests, if you will, and, and, I, and I know it's been mentioned in some of the other teachings, and I'm sure it'll come up again, but the book of 1 John provides us with a number of incredibly practical uh, tests, if you will, for discerning. I, I like the word discernment that came out. That is certainly a theme of the book. For discerning the true Christian, right? And, and it gives us different kinds of tests. Well, one of them that, that's kind of... <laughs> It almost may seem overly simplistic, but it's the test of, do they stay? <laughs> because if they depart, well then, they're not of us. As if they were of us, they would have remained. So, there's something of a rather uh, practical uh, reality there that John is wanting us to, uh, to key in on. I considered whether or not uh, to, to address or to go in depth. I think for the sake of time, we probably won't, but I will mention this, right? The, the language of Antichrist is used in this text as well. Uh, and um, I, I that's kind of a charged word for a lot of people, right? It, it ushers in these questions of, of the end times and eschatology, right? The study of the last things. Um, but I think what I want to do for now is simply say and encourage to study that. <laughs> because sometimes we, we have a fear of, oh, gee, that's a hard subject. Lots of people have different opinions. I'm not even going to press into this. I actually would encourage you to press into it. And so if you're taking notes, if there's things that you want to consider in terms of kind of cross-references and further study, you know, look at Certainly the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation, where it talks about the beast. So my question that I could throw out to you is, is there a connection between the, the beast that is mentioned in the book of Revelation and Antichrist that's mentioned here? Another one would be the book of 2 Thessalonians, where there's a, a character referred to as uh, the man of wickedness or, or the man of unrighteousness. And, and look into that and see, is that connected to this Antichrist? Possibly. A different people, uh, good Wonderful Bible teachers and Christians have different interpretations of how that all fits together. Um, but it is an edifying study. So I, I think I'll, I'll probably leave it to that with this one other um, note that I think is valuable, which is the, that prefix anti. We, we often, I think, we, we consider it in one of its primary and correct understandings, which is like against or opposed to. But another correct meaning for that prefix is, is one of, as like a supplanter, right? Uh, in, in place of, almost as a substitute. And so I think it's actually really good to see a little bit of both of those at play here. Uh, and as John goes on to talk about later in this very same book, when he refers to just the spirit of the Antichrist, right? This idea that there are going to be false teachers who they seek to, in, in a lot of ways, take the position of God, to, to, to become the arbiters and the teachers of truth as if they were the Almighty Himself to now come and give revelation to the people. Um, and so we see both these, yes, Antichrist and the spirit of the Antichrist, that is certainly an opposition, um, an antagonism to Jesus and His ministry and His truth. And it also it brings with this, this sense of, and on top of that, I'm going to do it in a way where I put my, myself in his place. I'm going to try to be Christ in a sense. And so I think it's, it's right that we see that in this context and as we consider our own circumstance, as we walk through this life to, to realize, yeah, there are going to be people 
who are going to seek to put themselves in those sorts of positions. They're going to use the scriptures, but then twist the scriptures, right? It's, 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 a, it's a classic play out <laughs> of the devil's playbook, right? He does that uh, with Jesus himself uh, in, in the desert. So I hope, hope those things are helpful um, to you. As we move uh, into the text here, I'm looking at verse 20. Right? He says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Uh, for those who are, are familiar with, with the Old Testament, this word anointed might be something that draws your mind back to there, which is good, which is right, because we do. This word anointed is very much colored by the Old Testament, so his original audience would have been, in some ways, closer to understand the significance of that. But, but it has to do mostly with this setting apart of things to be holy. Uh, it's directly related to the priesthood and their service. And so this is an incredible, an incredible statement that John is making to these Christians, these ones who know the truth, to be told that, no, and, and, and you're not just some aimless, <laughs> no idea what's going on. No, you've received an anointing. You've been set apart to now serve, actually, in the family of God in a priestly sort of way. You, you're, you, you, don't, you don't need to be looking for other people to now step in to this mediatorial role to, to come in between you and God. And again, function as Christ. Christ is now. He is the one mediator between God and man. It's Jesus Christ. And so there's, a, there's really a beautiful elevation uh, that John gives to his people, which again serves to encourage and to build confidence and to stir them up and to, to really to call them to confidence in what we see the Scripture referred to otherwise as, you know, this is the faith once for all delivered. They've been told. They've been given the gospel. They know who Jesus is. They've been given sound doctrine and right teaching. And so now as these other people come in and try to introduce new things and tell them, I've got more and better stuff for you, he, he's saying, don't go there. You have been given the very Holy Spirit of God. You are now in service to the one true King. Jesus Christ is the one mediator between God and man. And so follow Him and follow His Word, uh, not, not the false teachings that are coming, which you can, again, they, can, they can sniff out the minute that these false teachers would, would, would seek to say something about Christ that does not fit with what they have already been told. And you'll find that in other passages in the New Testament where you know, Paul says similar things. He, he's like, you've been given the gospel. It doesn't matter who comes in. It doesn't matter if we. And if you go and you read in Galatians, he says, not even if we or an angel from heaven were to come in to give you a different gospel, don't believe him. Because you've been given the once for all delivered faith. This is Jesus Christ. He was born of a virgin. He lived that sinless life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for sins. And now, by faith, you can be united to him and, and receive the Holy Spirit. So it's, it's a, an incredibly gospel-centric um, exhortation here. One of the scripture play, uh, references I want everyone to turn to, we're going to go back to, uh, to 1 Kings 13 for uh, something of a little illustration here uh, that I think is, is good and to this point. I'm going to bounce around um, in this chapter, so follow with me. I'll call out the verses 
as I go. Um, but I, I think you'll probably pick up on it by the time we get to the end. 1 Kings 13. 1 Kings 13. The first, first section, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 3. Uh, then it'll be 6 through 12, and then 15 through 24. But verse 1. And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. And the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord. Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is a sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. I'm going to skip down to verse 6. And the king said to the man of God, he's afraid, right? Entreat now the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. And the man of God entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him and became as it was before. And the king said to the man of God, come home with me and refresh yourself and I will give you a reward. And the man of God said to the king, if you give me half of your house, I will not go in with you and I will not eat bread or drink water in this place. For so was it commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way that you came. So he went out another way and did not return by the way that he came to Bethel. Now an old prophet lived in Bethel, and his sons came and told him of all that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told to their father the words that he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, Which way did he go? And his sons showed him the way that the man of God who came from Judah had gone. Now skip down to verse 15. Now this is the, the father who's now caught up to the man of God said, Then he said to him, Come home with me. Just like the king had asked. Come home with me and eat bread. And he's, the man of God says, I may not return with you or go in with you. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by the way that you came. And he said to him, This was the, the, the father, said to the man of God, I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. Now this is kind of parenthetical, right? <laughs> but he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. And as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you, but have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water, your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And after he had eaten bread and drunk, he saddled the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. And as he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown in the road, and the donkey stood beside it. The lion also stood beside the body." So that may seem like a out-of-left-field text, but perhaps the point is clear, perhaps not. You can almost hear John screaming to this man, you have no need that anyone should teach you. You've been told the word of the Lord. He said, don't go back. He said, don't sit, don't eat, don't drink, go a different way. So just because Joe Schmo comes out and says, hey, one angel told me, you're going to go with it? You had direct instruction from God, and he told you what to do. You, don't be deceived. 
don't be deceived by any other message. And that's what John is saying here. And I, I think that kind of helps clarify sometimes the, the strange language too. It, 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 he, he says like, and you have all knowledge. You have no need for anyone to teach you. Some people take that in a way wrong way. They're like, oh, so I don't need anyone to teach me, like literally. And so, well, that's clearly not the case. I mean, John's writing them a letter. John's teaching them. So there's still a place for teachers in the Christian faith. And, and, and he's certainly not saying, and you have all knowledge, meaning you know how to do, you know every bit of information under the sun. No, he's saying you know what you need to know about who Jesus is, about who God is, about his plan for his people, about his work of redemption, about how he, how he has condescended and entered into human history. You know Christ. And so when these people come and it doesn't matter who they claim their authority is, an angel from heaven, don't believe it. You don't, you don't need that because you have been given the truth. That, I think, is, is, is what John is really trying to encourage out of his original audience caught in this very potentially you know, uh, unsettling and confusing moment, uh, but, but also applicable for us today, uh, very applicable for us today. Um, there is much false teaching, and some of it is pretty well disguised. And so <laughs> one surefire way, right, is if we can always say, well, uh, to some extent, right, it doesn't matter how well credentialed the person is, it doesn't matter how good their reputation is, we always need to take their teaching to the Word of God and consider, okay, does this stack up with what God himself has said and revealed to me? Because if it doesn't, then I can't follow you because I am going to follow the Word of God. Um, and so I think that huge part for the first section. Now I want to do a little bit of a pivot um, because in these section of verses, there's a little bit of, of a pivot, though they're, they're certainly uh, connected in their own right. And so moving into a concept that we, we sometimes in, in church history people have referred to as the beatific vision. I don't know if that's a phrase you've, you've ever heard of before. It, it literally means something to the essence of the, the sight that makes one happy, right? And so it's used to describe this future reality, this certain expectation that awaits all believers, right? That one day we will see God. Uh, Jesus himself taught this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Uh, so we see this, and now it's a very dynamic conversation all through the scriptures because we also have places where no one can see God and live. But then yet we have these Old Testament saints, you know, Jacob wrestles with this angel of the Lord. He says, I've seen God and lived. So it's a fascinating dynamic all throughout both the Old and the New Testament. But yet we do have this great, wonderful promise very much highlighted here uh, at the end in, in verse uh, chapter 3, right? Verse 2, he says, but we know when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And again, this is all wrapped up in a context of, of Christology, right? The big, the big theological term. This is a Christ-exalting passage, and, and the Bible makes it so clear that, again, Jesus himself says when, when Thomas, kind of exasperated, looking for something, show us the Father and it'll be enough, and Jesus' reply, have you been with me so long and you don't know if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Right, so the New Testament telling us 
in all of its glory, this is the majesty. This is, this is the gospel. <laughs> Jesus is God. Now united to humanity, having taken on flesh. And so to see Christ, and now to see Christ in his glorified body, this is the great wondrous hope. And, and again, I, I think a hope that is a certain reality for the Christian. Uh, he's encouraging the believer and encouraging the believer caught in a moment of despair, potentially. Again, imagine it's your, it's your mother, it's your sister, your brother who has just walked away or, or, or you're confronted with this dangerous false teacher spouting things that you, deep down you know that it's not true, but it makes you doubt. Uh, this is a very smart person who's talking to me and he's telling me that Jesus isn't who the Bible says he is. Even those of us who are true Christians can still be very unsettled by those sorts of things. Um, and so I, there is something very worshipful about what John <laughs> brings us to here, especially in this place. Uh, he's, he's doing exactly what we often try to remind ourselves. You know, we, we say, have an eternal perspective. Try to live with an eternal perspective. But even better than that is just look at Jesus. Look at the person of Christ and see who he is, see the beauty of who he is, and be enthralled by that. And let that drown out the noise of what's going on. Um, maybe a couple other, and more classic Bible study fashion here, we're going to bounce around just a couple more texts. I just think they're really cool. They're very Jesus texts, but you might not have thought of them. Uh, Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, and then we're going to do a quick turn to Mark Nine. This was a, a connection that uh, a professor at ITS, Indianapolis Theological Seminary, uh, pointed out, and I just loved it. And so I wanted to. In this context, it has some relevance to this seeing Christ in His glorified uh, form. But I'm a sucker for any time you can help make a connection in the Bible where you didn't know there was one before. I think as a Christian that ought to excite us. So Malachi three. I'll read verses 1 through 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. Fuller, like a launderer. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Now do a quick turn to Mark 9. This is the, one of the accounts that we have in the Gospels of the transfiguration of Jesus. But this particular account is especially connected to that passage from Malachi in a, in a fun way. I, I think it's fun. You're going to be like, wow, that was so not cool or fun, but whatever, man. I'm here for it. <laughs> this is uh, chapter 9, 2 through 8. Mark 9, 2 through 8. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. 
And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. I love the, the, the ending, of course. The, you know, they look around and they don't see anyone but Jesus. And I, I think there's a wonderful kind of echo of what John now taps into. And one day you're going to get to see him. And, and sure, there'll be other people there, but they will pale in comparison. We'll be quite awestruck by the fact that we're looking at Jesus. Only Jesus, right? So that's, that's beautiful. <laughs> the fun connection between Malachi and Mark here was it referenced the wider than Fuller's soap back in Malachi. And then in, in, in here, and again, depending on translation, in verse 3, right, he says, And, and Jesus' clothes became radiant, intensely white, as, as no one on earth could bleach them. Mine has a footnote, which then goes on to talk about it. In the Greek, it said launderer. It was the force. So this is the fuller. So he's so white that he's like, no, no laundry mat on the planet could make clothes this white. That's how it's kind of a funny thing, I think. But yet it's 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 trying to paint this picture. Right. And it's a picture of absolute purity, of total glory beyond compare. And again, if there was ever if anyone ever wants to try and say, as these false teachers would, that Jesus isn't who he said he was. If anyone wants to say that this is not the Messiah who was promised in the Old Testament. No, no. Like it's in, the, in the literal way that he's described, that Malachi talked about the, the one who the fuller's soap couldn't get it any wider than. And now <laughs> when writing about the transfiguration, like here he is. Here's the guy <laughs> that no launderer could get that white. It's the same person. And the text of Scripture makes it just so beautifully and abundantly clear. That's really, that's where I was going to kind of leave you guys with. Uh, uh, not with the fuller soap, but that it's all, it, it's, it's, it's all trying to bring us to Christ and to see him and, and, the, and the wonder of what he has done and who he is. And like, that is the whole of the scripture. And so that's how John is going to try and encourage and build up and, 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 and put confidence in the heart of these people being tossed about as he's going to remind them of who Christ is, the verity of what they've been taught, and the fact that without any hesitation or reservation, they know what the end is. One day I will get to see Jesus face to face as he is, and it will be glory beyond compare. And so be encouraged. Be encouraged by that. And we also can be encouraged. And, and, uh, and we can know we've been given this book that God himself wrote through human instruments so that we can know who he is and that we can sleep in peace at night knowing that no matter what happens tomorrow, one day, if we've been born of the Spirit of God, if we've repented of our sin and placed our faith in Christ and who he is and what he did for us, there is an unimaginable eternity waiting waiting for us. And so that's what, that's what ought to be our, our sorts of confidence and joy and hope and enthusiasm to now share this with other people because it's better. It's better than anything else. And so that's what I'll actually leave you with. Uh, and then um, we'll, we'll close in prayer and then break out into discussion groups. <clears throat> Father, thank you for this evening, another time to gather in your name with brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage each other, to share in sweet fellowship, 
to hear your word. Uh, we pray uh, we, that we have heard it uh, rightly expounded, uh, that truth has been shared. Uh, anything that was not of truth, we ask that it would uh, leave the minds of those who heard it, uh, but that your spirit would be working through your word in the hearts of your people to renew our minds, to encourage us, to, to build up our confidence not in ourselves, but in Christ and his finished work and, and of the future that lies before us, that it would be uh, a great source of encouragement and strength in the midst of even trying times. And so we, we just thank you. We're so, so grateful that you have uh, called us to be your children. And, uh, and indeed we are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.